Hello and welcome to the Ponda Podcast. I'm Jacqueline Ogilvie, Developmental Pediatrician from London, Ontario. Today we're going to be talking about a lot of things that are on the minds of many people these days, and that is the COVID pandemic. How is that affecting the children we see, the families we meet with? I think we have all had many questions about uh, what experiences have been like over the past few months. And so in this two-part series, I'm going to start by talking to Genevieve Curry. She's a researcher, a nurse, and a mother who has two sons with neurodevelopmental disorders, one of whom has a rare condition. Her sons are age 13 and 17, and she is joining me today to talk a little bit about what her family has experienced and what her, she has observed uh, for her sons in the past few months. In part two of this series, I am going to talk with Dr. Olaf Kraus de Camargo and Dr. Kinga Posniak, researchers from Can Child Center for Childhood Disability, about research they've done recently on the COVID pandemic and family experience. So look forward to that second part following this one. So without further delay, I want to welcome Genevieve. Thank you for joining me today. You're very welcome. Glad to be here. So to start with, I really would like to hear a bit about your experience overall during the past few months. How has your family been impacted by the COVID pandemic and how have your sons been impacted? Uh, it was particularly difficult at the beginning of the pandemic when the boys weren't in school. And um, I had to continue to work full time and they were both home and it just highlighted for me the gaps that we already had in services and the gaps we had in caring for them. It, it magnified the difficulties a hundredfold for sure. So how were things in those first, uh, let's say those first few weeks? So was there anything that um, uh, was really striking in terms of uh, adjusting to school or things that your boys really um, struggled or wrestled with? Mm -hmm. So the one child who had the most difficulties, the one with the rare disorder, and he also has developmental delays and cognitive delays. He goes to special needs school and he couldn't understand why he couldn't go to school. He really likes to go to school. And so he got very anxious. He would ask, you know, he, he asked multiple questions anyway, he perseverates on things, but he couldn't understand why he couldn't be in school. And then at some point he knew that the teachers were still in school and he couldn't be there. So he, he couldn't understand why he couldn't go. Um, so his anxiety, he has anxiety already with his disorder and his anxiety really got intense and his behaviors, um, tantrums and outbursts got much worse. And certainly my husband and I both commented on how significant a difference it was and how difficult it was with him not in school and him not understanding why he couldn't be in school. I've heard that from a few families. I even had one little guy who thought he was in trouble and that's why he wasn't going mm -hmm. to school because the teacher was still there and it was a small community. So um, had trouble come, kind of coming to terms with that. How long did it take for, for your son to um, kind of understand or, or see that that was a change uh, and why that was happening? Um, I actually finally asked the school because we weren't, we didn't have very much communication with the school and they were sending home lessons, lesson plans that he couldn't do. He needs one-on-one -on -one support. And I was trying to work and do that. And I finally asked them if they could 
have a Zoom call with him once a day during the school week. And so they started calling him for 10 minutes a day. And that is all the support we got for four months, which wasn't very much for his education, for sure. I feel we can talk about that in a bit, but there was a huge gap there in his, his learning. But he at least got connection with the school and the people, the teacher and the resource teacher that mattered to him. And that was, that was a key thing to have people reach out to him during that time. Sounds like he needed that to stay connected with some of those familiar people who just suddenly were out of his, his daily routine. Exactly. And then he would ask some questions about why aren't, why aren't I in school (laughs) and when can I go back? And so then they were getting the same questions, but at least that they, they were, he could get the same answer from them that he was getting from me. That makes sense. And, uh, and how flexible was the school in being able to offer that? Was that something you really had to work to, to recommend or did it seem kind of natural that they came up with that idea for him to connect with them? No, they, they hadn't thought of that. And mm-hmm. I, I brought it up that um, they had just wanted to meet with me once a week and talk about the work they were sending home. And I said that the work was not appropriate. He couldn't do the work. He needed someone to sit with him and do it. And even then he was struggling. And um, I said, he, what he really needs is to talk to you, to, to not talk, not to for me to be the go-between, but he needed to talk to them. So they, I think that they were a bit reluctant to do it at first, but then um, they did do it and they continued to do it for months. That's great. It's, an, it's a nice lesson to remind ourselves that school is more than just learning for kids, that it's a connection and it's their teachers mean a lot to them, those people that they see day in and day out. And That's true. I think reflecting on some of those pieces that you've observed are so important as we do this for months and months this year even, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. Oh, um, and was there anything that seemed to get a little easier? I mean, after those first initial, the initial shock and adjustment, was there anything over, as months have gone on that um, has seemed to get a little easier or, or not? Um, the only thing that I would say that got easier was that his medical appointments, my son has frequent medical appointments and so his medical appointments became either by phone or by Zoom. And although this, you know, is not certainly good long-term practice to not be able to observe him and physically assess him, he, with me sitting there, he got used to being part of the Zoom call and we didn't then have to travel to the appointment and parking and worry about exposure to COVID at the children's hospital where we, where we go for appointments. So I think that certainly became an easier point of access for us as a family for those appointments. Do you see that as something that's sustainable as, and as you said, maybe not for every appointment, but um, a way to keep connecting with your healthcare providers for intermittent visits? Yes, I think it's, it's a really good way to increase access for families. And now that my son is back in school, um, some of the providers, the pediatricians have continued, the pediatric specialists have continued the Zoom calls. And it's been good because then he hasn't had to miss school. So I've tried to organize them around when he's home from school. And so far that's worked. So I don't, I don't feel like I'm pulling him from school and taking him to an appointment where we're waiting a long period of time. This way we're, he can be doing other things while we're, while we're waiting for the Zoom call to, to start as well. 
I wanted to shift gears a little bit, and, and I understand that one of your sons actually contracted COVID. Is that, that right? That is correct. Can you describe what that was like and uh, based on your observations, how, how did he, uh, how was he doing? So the same son with the rare disease is the one that got COVID. And, you know, looking back, it wasn't surprising because um, he's already immunocompromised. I have a nanny who I've had to hire because I work full time and he needs 24 seven supervision. So when he comes home from school after school, and then he has a lot of professional development days. So when the nanny got sick with COVID, my husband and I were beating ourselves up about how did this happen and how did we let this happen? And why did, you know, why did we continue to have her in our home? But that was part of the gap in care is that um, in order for me to, to work, which I needed to do, then I needed someone to look after my son when I'm working. So in answer to your question, I know I'm going to spending a long time answering your question. Um, when the, the nurse from Alberta Health Services called me and said, you know, my husband, my other son, and I did not have COVID, but um, my son with a rare disease did. And I was like, oh, no, no. Like, it was just, you know, not him, right? Right. And, but he was the most susceptible because of his uh, comorbidities already. And, um, but what it meant was that the nurse said, well, surely he's, he was almost 13. Surely at 13, he can look after himself and he just needs to isolate in the house. And I said, no, no, he needs 24 seven care. And so then my husband and I had to decide who would look after him. So I made that decision I would, and then we had to isolate from each other. So, you know, we had to sleep, eat, be in separate par par places in the house. And luckily we have the space to do that. Um, but then I was in isolation for five weeks because I had been looking after him and it, it, it just carried on that I had to be the last person to be in isolation. Right. And trying to do that just within a family, I can imagine how hard that would be. Um, and as you said, you were lucky to have the space to do that, but that's certainly a conversation point is, um, yeah. some families may not have that. Yeah. And that um, highlighted that for me too. That's probably why the nanny got the COVID originally because she couldn't separate from the rest of her family. So mm. a, a lot of themes in there in terms of, um, you mentioned at the very beginning gaps in care and having to make a decision yourself to hire a nanny that then brought with it some, um, I'm hearing maybe some feelings of guilt on that first, that first, um, when you first get the call and then, but you mm -hmm. have to do what you had to do. Yeah. Have you had further thoughts about those gaps in care and, and what, would have helped earlier on um, when we all had to be so separate and we all had to be in our bubbles? Yeah. Well, I think what, what happened, Jackie, was that um, then suddenly all the supports that we had coming in to help us because we need a lot of supports because particularly with my son's behavioral issues and you get speech therapy and physiotherapy and uh, occupational therapy and the behavioral therapy, um, all of that stopped. Right, so he didn't have any school, he didn't have any of the therapy, he didn't have, we didn't have any respite. We didn't have a, an aide helping us. I guess what I'm trying to tell you, it, isol it showed me how isolated we already are. And that if you don't have that core team, you have to pick up the pieces yourself and figure it out. And often it falls back on the mother to do that. It's yeah. been my experience. Yeah. Um, and um, it's just exhausting. 
Yeah, can I just say really quickly, the really positive thing that came out of this was that my son's um, pediatrician who di basically diagnosed my son at three days of age, he actually came into our house twice to check on my son with full PPE. That was, that was just outstanding. So I just want to highlight that. That meant a lot to the family, and I know he put himself at risk. Um, but that, that reassured us that he was okay and that he was, you know, he was on the mend. Good. I'm really thrilled to hear that. And um, as you said, with, with all the precautions and, and giving you some of that mm. peace of mind that it is, you know, you have your nursing background, but it's hard to be mom and nurse at the same time. And having somebody, right. another pair of eyes and ears, I can imagine would be so crucial, especially with an unknown condition that we were all facing with COVID. There was a lot of uncertainties early on. That's wow. right. Um, have you noticed uh, over the pandemic as um, some of those res respite supports, um, other opportunities for therapies and even engaging in, in activities were uh, really down to a minimum. Um, did you notice any change in his function um, in terms of how his independence perhaps, or mm -hmm. uh, you've talked a little bit about anxiety and behavior, but I wondered about any other observations you had. Yeah, he regressed a lot of his behaviors that he was exhibiting before. So some of his difficult behaviors were really some of the worst I've ever seen. And I think that's because of his own anxiety and also being in isolation in the house when he had COVID, he couldn't understand again why no one could come to visit. He still doesn't understand why, you know, he can't see his grandparents and why nobody comes to the house anymore and why he's still having lots of therapy on Zoom, you know. Yep. Um, it's hard to do speech therapy on Zoom or OT on Zoom. So it does, it's, it's more accessible, but in our case, we, we already had it in the house. So it was much better to have a provider coming in the house and doing that. Um, so yeah, I would say that he, we saw some of the worst behaviors that we've ever seen with him during that time. And he didn't have any schooling and we were trying to do the best we could with reading and things like that. But I would say he's regressed as well with his his schooling and even his his social skills and his understanding of what's appropriate behavior and what's not appropriate behavior and how to work with his peers and what have you seen being isolated. Yeah. And have you seen um, some of those skills start to come back now that he's uh, back into school and back into some routine or um, yes. still? Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah, they have. They've come back. And even um, we have a behavioral therapist, an ABA person who works with them. And she said that she's just noticed again in the last three weeks now that we're into November now that things are starting to improve with him again. Wow. And did he go back in September? To school and back into therapy? He did, but school was staggered for three weeks. So again, he didn't understand why he couldn't go right back. But, um, and he keeps checking with me <laughs> regularly to say, you know, is school going to keep going? They're not going to shut it down, are they again? And he's quite worried about it. Yeah, as we all are, yeah. but I can imagine for, for a little guy that it would be, uh, be hard to understand. When's it, yeah. it going to stop? When, yeah. So, but it's been two months and it, um, she's just starting to notice that some of those skills are um, kind of coming back again, That's eh? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so was the online platform, was that viable for him? Because um, even though we 
felt uh, sometimes as professionals that, oh, this is going to be great. We're going to just connect virtually. And even though it's not ideal, we'll, we'll still try to do it. But I've often wondered how, um, how viable and, and it is on the other end for kids in terms of uh, getting their therapy in that way. And I'm curious what you, what you found, what your experience was like. He didn't know what to do at first with, with anything online. Even with the teacher, he would just stare at the screen or he would look off. So I'd have to keep redirecting him. Um, he now he has he does skin picking as part of one of his behaviors, and so we've noticed when he's got OT or speech because they're not seeing what he's doing with his hands. Even if I'm sitting beside him or the aide, he's got an aide who's actually the aide is coming in the house. He will pick at himself. So it's certainly not the best for him. In in that he again needs lots of reinforcement, lots of connection face to face like with a real person right in front of him, um, watching what he's doing with his hands. And then for, for school, it was really, it didn't work for him. It was just too abstract. I think it's too abstract for him to understand what's going on. And um, I understand he goes to a school where there's some extra supports and um, a smaller classroom. Yes. Did they have any... Um, other than connecting with him on a daily basis, like you talked about in the beginning, did they have any other uh, creative ways or getting him engaged in stuff that was sent home or uh, done over the computer? Or was it really left to you uh, as a family? It was really left to us. I think that they were struggling to figure out what to do too. And there was a gap there in, in sort of just um, ignoring his needs because he, he wasn't a typical child. That's what I felt. On the edges, it sounds like feeling really and maybe pushed yeah. farther. And um, that's right. Lessons to learn going forward. It sounds like being flexible, being open, and, and talking to families around what uh, what they're seeing working, and what the needs are. It sounds mm -hmm. like finding um, a better match between some of the work that your son was being asked to do and his, you know, his level. Um, making sure there's a good match yeah. between that. Yep. That's right. Be nice to and see. And not just giving up on him. Yeah, not just giving up on him that, oh, well, he doesn't matter because he's, he's cognitively delayed anyway, because he, ne he needs school. Absolutely. Yeah. How do you feel now that he's back in school? Do you feel that, um, do you still have some of those feelings, the way school's running or, uh, or not? Meaning currently, is he still um, with the program he's getting? Is there still those, those gaps? No, I think that they've, they've made a real effort now to, like they have a small class sizes and they have, my son has his own aide in the class, which is wonderful. Um, so they, once they got through the staggered entry where they felt more confident, I think that they could try and all be as safe as possible. Then, I, then they've done everything, I think, that possible to keep the kids in school. So it's been, it's been way better. Good. And back into mm -hmm. programming and uh, what mm -hmm. he's used to is comfort, sounds like. Yes. Um, if we look at the mainstream media now, we are seeing a lot about COVID fatigue. We're now several months into this. I wondered if that's um, something that you've thought about or uh, have given thought to, um, and even about how isolated we have all been over the past few months. You talked about that a little bit at the beginning, but I wanted to touch on that concept a little bit more of, of isolation for, for your family and for your boys. Mm -hmm. Isolated. And 
you know, a lot of the activities that um, both children were involved with before those, those things like choir and band and um, some of those things have stopped for a period of time completely. Some of them are starting again. So you, you do feel more that you lose your community and your, it falls on the parents to try and fill in all the gaps, particularly the mother to fill in all the gaps for their children with neuro, neurodevelopmental disorders, for sure. So keeping them engaged, keeping them active in within the constraints that, uh, that you have. That's right, yeah. exactly. Do your boys communicate or talk about feeling isolated or feeling lonely? The, the child that um, doesn't have the rare disorder, he has ADHD and he also, I think, has been quite isolated. Um, he has difficulty with social skills to start with and he was doing quite well in grade seven. And then when after um, they, we went into shutdown, then everything was on screens and um, we've really noticed he's gone into himself more and he's having difficulty communicating, um, almost depressed about, oh, no. yeah. Um, like I think he started getting depressed during COVID and we were, you know, stuck. We were all stuck, we felt stuck, not being able to get out, go anywhere. Um, so he's got certainly now in school, but he's in his situation, they don't go from class to class. They stay in the same class and they wear masks and I think he's missing again some of the fun things he was doing before that that they're not able to do like sports and band and um, guitar and things like that. So, yeah, the other parts also, of school that make it fun to go and uh, that's right. And change it up during the day, even some right. movement around through the day. I know that's, that's right. restricted. Yeah. 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 Genevieve, it's just, it's been such a pleasure talking to you. And, and I know you've talked about some really tough stuff. So it's, um, you know, from your son feeling more isolated and, and alone and, and down, even, even depressed. Yeah. And, um, but I'm, I'm glad to hear he's back in school and, and um, although missing some of his other outlets, um, mm -hmm. hopefully we, as we go on with this, we start to learn what is important for, to find the balance. Like you said, can we do it safely so that people can mm -hmm. still connect? I think that's a message that's so important for, for kids who have special needs or neurodevelopmental differences because one, one size doesn't fit all. Yeah. And sitting in a desk, school is so much more about than just sitting at a desk and um, mm -hmm. that's important for their well-being too. Well, you've, mm. you've, you've shed some light on what it was like for you over the last few months. I wondered if, is there any other, uh, any other observations or, or things you wanted to, to comment on from the family, from your perspective about the experience uh, uh, and what you've learned? I know um, my son was looking, for, we were looking for programs during COVID and during the isolation and um, Starlight I don't know if you've heard of them before, but they, they offer programs for children with special needs across Canada and they're out, of, I think they're out of Ottawa. Um, and so we would watch this once or twice a week, which was fabulous on, you know, just for half an hour with, with um, um, there would be uh, um, music and uh, musicians and things like that. But what I, what I became aware of when people would be in the chat, Jack, it was all the parents that were in isolation that was even worse than our isolation. So parents who had children who were really immunocompromised, 
who would say in the chat, you know, this is day 70, we still haven't been outside or, and I would be just like, oh my goodness, how are you coping? Like, I don't know how you're mentally coping with this. So it made me aware of, you know, certainly the, how these families are so isolated and on their own and having to, to figure these things out for the safety of their children. And to, that we need to think about that as a broader community of, of um, healthcare providers and people in general about how do we support them so that there's, that this continues so that they can have some normalcy in their lives. But it's, it's so much responsibility uh, to place on a family to do all that. And then in the last minute that we have, are there, reflecting on that points, are there specific supports or things, that, ideas you've had about how, um, what that would look like, how we would provide better support? Um, and maybe thinking going forward now and what the situation looks like as opposed to that real tight lockdown where every, it was kind of a, you know, doors closed on that day and nothing was open. Have you had any mm -hmm. thoughts of what pro whether are we thinking about is it programming is it funding is it um more connections with peers i think it would be all those things i think it would be a recognition that there's people out there that are that are caregiving that are doing it all and that they have no relief in any way in any capacity so you know is it is it programs on through zoom and on um on the computer that they could hook into but is it also could we could we safely provide someone to go in the home and support them you know is there is there some way again not to make the same vulnerable people more vulnerable but is there some way to um, have respite go in or therapists go in or to relieve the parents and the child if they even have a connection with somebody else outside of their parents I think it just highlighted like, wow, what a huge gap and how do we address, address the, the, the health of the child, but also the mental health of the family and the survival of the family with something like this when you can't, you feel like you can't leave the house. I remember reading an article early on in one of our uh, local papers was uh, author was talking about we need a tribe mentality we need more um almost mini yeah. tribes so that there's people That's to call right. upon um or that i can call upon if i need them and know that there's a couple that might be available to be within my bubble with within my tribe uh as as my backup and my support and i thought what a, that's kind of an interesting interesting way to look at it yeah yes the village raising the child right yeah. and I, yeah. I mean i know it we don't want to put people at risk and we didn't know for so long what was safe and what wasn't and we learned that the masks are much better and the you know being outside is much better so we've learned over time so i just hope we can remember some of those things so that again we can be safe but supportive of, of families needs with the village raising the child absolutely it provided that um more of that evidence to say how valuable it is when we're talking mm -hmm. about why why it's needed so Mm -hmm. Well, Genevieve, thank you so much for sharing your experience talking about uh, your sons and, and their um, their illness and with COVID and how they recovered or how he recovered um, and your, your observations of what's needed going forward. Um, I know our listeners will be so keen to hear your thoughts as well. Well, thank you very much for the chance to speak to it. Absolutely. Well, Thank you everybody for joining me and I look forward to connecting with part two. So stay tuned uh, when we will talk about research done through the CanChild uh, 
Childhood Disability, um, Center for Childhood Disability on uh, families' experiences with the COVID pandemic within the first few months. Take care. Have a good evening.